Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Hey, so if you haven't already, if you can, grab your notes out of your Connect folder you in your way, and we're going to jump into the message. So grab those notes, open up a note on your phone, on your app, or however you take some notes. Uh, don't make your grocery list, make your sermon list. This is a good thing to do. We are in week seven of our new series, well, it's not so new anymore, of our series called Best Year Yet. Everyone say that with me. Yes. Best Year Yet. And what we're talking about is not necessarily goal setting and how to have your best year yet, um, but focusing on what matters most. And when you focus on what matters most and what that will end up bringing you your best year yet. And so this applies to all of us. This applies if you've never been to church or maybe it's been forever since you've been to church. We're really glad you're here. Maybe you're streaming online. All of this can apply to every single one of us in the room today. And so here's what we're talking about. Our theme verse is, comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This is written from the Apostle Peter. We're going to read this out loud all together as one church. Ready? Go. His divine power has given us everything we need for our godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, what we're doing, this is kind of like centering our thinking. God has given us everything we need for a godly life. He's given us, it says later on, verse four, very great and precious promises. And then he goes on later in verse five, which is what we've been focusing on the past several weeks, of a virtue list of characteristics that we're supposed to add to our faith to grow our relationship with Jesus in a certain particular way. We're talking about trying to close the gap between the perfect and complete and precious promises of God and what happens to be our incomplete and imperfect faith. And if we add these characteristics developmentally one upon each other, like Peter has been giving us the past several weeks, it will close the gap and we'll meet in the middle. Excuse me. I got the black lung pop. Okay. Not funny to say when you live in Kentucky. I've done that before. Anyway, so moving on. So we're thinking developmentally about these characteristics. And this is an important way to think. It's not just random. They're building upon each other. Um, I was no good at sports growing up at all. The only ball I could catch is I could only catch a cold. That's it. I wasn't very good. The only sports I were good at is like, Trevor, can you hit the person? Like, yes, I can hit the person. So I only did martial arts growing up. I hope you're comfortable with a pastor who only does combat sports. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> So in martial arts, when I did growing up, it thinks developmentally. You start with white belt, and then you go to yellow belt, and green belt, and blue belt, and red belt, and black belt. And skills build upon each other cumulatively over time. This is what we think Peter is doing in our passage. He's thinking developmentally. And as we've, um, as a teaching team, we've honed down on each word that's developing in this series. We see a growth pattern of how the previous topic is connected to the next topic in ways that we would have never known before because we're doing this deep dive. So let's look at this again and add onto the list developmentally what Peter is encouraging us to do. So we're in 2 Peter 1 verses 5 and 6. It's on your notes. It's going to be on the screen. And this is what he says. He says, for this very reason, 
Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, which, man, I hear Dale just preached the heck out of perseverance last week. So, and to perseverance, godliness, which is our topic for today. Let's pray. Father, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead us to your holy hill. Let them lead us to the place where you dwell. Speak to us today and transform our lives by the power of your written word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak and teach and move. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so let's talk about godliness. Man, uh, this has kind of been a tough series to preach, to be honest, because there's so many of these topics are so elemental. It's a challenge to first teach them, then to preach them. So let's try to wrap our brains around just the idea of godliness in the first place. Godliness at its core um, basically means this. It means to be devoutly religious or devoutly pious. Devoutly religious or devoutly pious. Sexy, right? Man, devout religion. Revival's breaking out in this room right now. It seems a little boring. Most of the time, people hear the word godliness, and what does it mean? They say something like this. Cleanliness is next to godliness, which, first off, that's nowhere in the Bible. Who came up with that? And second of all, moms came up with that. Moms did. If you love Jesus, you'll make your bed. Okay, so... So godly, that's not even in the Bible. And to be godly is to be clean, lame, lame. It's got to be more than that. Now, not many people will self-describe themselves as godly if godly means to be devoutly religious because not many people will self-identify as devoutly religious because being devoutly religious kind of has a PR problem in our culture. People don't like religion. Most people I talk to, if I'm trying to engage a conversation with them about spiritual things, I don't say, oh, are you religious? I say, oh, are you spiritual? Because people go, yeah, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I am not religious. And the people who do identify as religious are the people I don't want to identify as religious. Like, I think Pastor Dale said this a couple weeks ago. He and I say it all the time to each other. There are people we walk up to, like, here's $20. Will you take this and promise me you'll stop calling yourself a Christian? Will you please just do that, right? People who are sometimes devoutly religious and identify as that are some of the most mean-spirited, weird Christians I know. And so that's that can't be it, and that's not... It of what we're talking about. What in the world does it mean to grow in godliness if it's not lame, if it's not boring, if it's not mean-spirited? What in the world does it mean? Well, we first got to find a more helpful way to understand it. So context is king with all of scripture. So let's go back to our theme verse just one more time. We're going to put it on the screen. It's 2 Peter 1.3. And so he writes us, his divine power has given us everything we need for, underline those two words, a godly life. A godly life. The literal there in the Greek is that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And our translation kind of puts those ideas together that godliness has to do with your actual life. 
The word godliness in our virtue list that we looked at, as well as right there where it's underlined, it's the same word in Greek, and it's the word eusebia. Everyone say that, eusebia. Good job, you're Greek scholars. Now, Vic, I hope I didn't butcher that. Okay, good. He's like, you did, but that's okay. Anyway, and so uh, what this word eusebia means... It's used only just a handful of times in the New Testament, mostly by the Apostle Paul. In the ancient Greek world, when they used this word that we understand as godliness, it was used basically to convey that your worldview, your beliefs actually affect your life. That what you believe affects your life. This is what it means. So Eusebia, godliness, is not used to describe your beliefs. but it's used to describe how your beliefs affect your life. Like, check this out. Here's another way that the Apostle Paul uses Eusebia. It's in 1 Timothy 3.16. It's going to be on the screen. He writes this here. He says, Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. So there's like a false godliness, but a true godliness. And this type of true godliness springs from knowing that he, Jesus, appeared in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. It's alluding to his resurrection. He was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. What it's saying is that this knowledge of Jesus, of how God left the throne of heaven to become a human being, to live among us, to teach the way of the kingdom, who died on a cross for the sins of the world and rose from the dead, Jesus, God in human flesh, knowing the truth about this man and knowing this man. Godliness springs from that. That what you believe is affecting your life. If Timothy or Paul, excuse me, if Paul or Peter isn't convincing enough, the great rapper Lecrae says this. If it's true he's been raised to life, then this is news that should change your life. How about that? So here's the point of what we're trying to say today. I want you just to know this today. It's this. Godliness is about whole life devotion to God. Whole life devotion to God. The mission statement of our church, you can say it with me if you know it, is that we live to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ, and here's the second half, and to grow into fully devoted followers of him. It's like growth in godliness means growth in full devotion to Jesus. It's about whole life devotion to God. And I'm here to tell you today is that if you begin to follow Jesus, he wants all of your life, all of it. And so here's the only problem with this. Here's why it's a challenge. We live in a supplemental culture. We live in a supplemental culture. You know, I'm working on my health. Uh, lately, I've been trying to eat better. I've been on a kind of a strict diet so far this year. I'm trying to live long for my kids. And what do you know, to fulfill God's purposes for my life, I have to be alive for it. And so... Um, I'm trying to exercise. I'm trying to eat better. I've been doing pretty good. I made it past the three-week mark into the new year. Like, this is actually a thing in my life. So that's good. 
And um, I, uh, I love wellness culture, even when like I've been shoving my face with all sorts of junk food. I'm on Instagram about workouts and you know supplement cultures and all sorts of stuff like that. So um, I brought today some of my supplements that I want to show you guys that I've been taking to help me with my health. Okay, so I want to show you some of them. Um, so here's first off. Um, I'm on a diet where there's no wheat, no dairy, no sugar, no joy, you know, <laughs> and, and so, but, um, I use a lot of protein powder, but protein has whey in it, weighs a derivative of milk and I can't have dairy. So, uh, once I started my diet, I had to find vegan plant-based protein powder a couple weeks ago. I made fun of vegan food in here. Now I'm eating crow. Okay. So, um, so here's, um, my bottle of protein powder. I don't know how they made it taste like chocolate without dairy, but it, you know, it works. So um, I do a little bit of protein powder. Um, I do kind of a, a multivitamin here, a men's formula, multivitamin. I do that. That's helpful. Anybody here take multivitamins? So yeah, lots of us do this type of stuff. Okay. Anybody here do vegan chocolate protein powder? Okay, great. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> um, Sometimes I need a little bit of a snack, and so sometimes you use protein bars, and this is a little bar that's uh, dairy-free, gluten-free, all that other stuff. It's actually pretty good, so sometimes I eat some of these. Um, let's see here. Um, I also uh, I take some, uh, some vitamins and just a daily vitamin. These are like little emergency packs and stuff. These things are really, really good just to boost my vitamin C. Here's another thing the doctor told me to take. I started taking omega-3 fish oil. Anybody here take like omega-3s or fish oil or anything like that? Did you know that if you buy just the generic fish oil, it's like horrible for you? Both my doctor and my pharmacist told me that. It's like rancid if you open it up. It's disgusting. So um, I bought this really expensive stuff. It better work for how much I paid for it. Um, and so, you know, I take some omega-3s. I do that. Now, everybody knows that if you're on a diet, you need a good cheat meal every now and again, right? Right? And so um, I add a little bit more extra vitamin C into my life on a cheat day. And by vitamin C, I mean this. I mean chocolate. So that's really, you know, helpful. That's the best supplement of all right there. The Copans taught me that vitamin C stands for chocolate. Or if you talk to Cookie Monster, C stands for cookie. So... <laughs> It's the best of both worlds there. Now, enough of these. I'm, I'm going to get hungry looking at those. Let's just put those away right there. Now, here's the deal. These are all nice and good, right? It's good to do this type of stuff. But you know what the only problem is when you're thinking about supplements? I can live without any of this. It's supplemental because I'm just adding on to what's actually sustaining me. I can live without it. If I run out of protein powder... I'll just get some next week when I go to the grocery store. I could totally live without it. They're not central. And this is how a lot of us treat Jesus. We treat him as supplemental to our life. Add him in here and there. Sprinkle him in on Sunday, maybe, maybe here and there. Church once or twice a month. A little bit of Jesus goes a long way, Right? But here's the thing. Jesus does not want to be your supplement. He wants to be your daily bread. Amen. He says this in Psalm 42, not he, but the psalmist says this in Psalm 42, verse 2. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Matthew 5, 6 says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Godliness looks like a person who has not made Jesus their supplement, but who's made Jesus their supply, who's made Jesus their daily bread, who's made Jesus their everything to where he's not compartmentalized off to the side of their life, sprinkled in here and there, 
But it's like we say, oh, godliness is whole life devotion to God. He's central, not supplemental. Now, we've shown you uh, this graph I'm about to show you before in church. We've shown it all in weekends, particularly around Kids of Hope. We're going to put that up, Josh. And here's a graph of 168 dots. And these represent every hour of the week. And this represents the average week for a kid in America who goes to church. Okay? So before, we're going to put the labels on in just a second, but there are so 168 dots. 70 of those, the blue ones, are sleep. Uh, let's see here. 30 of those, the pink, are school. And then the blue, green, green, thanks. The green, 67, is home. You don't know what the orange dot is? Yeah, put it up church. So the current model we have in America right now is the way our kids are going to learn how to follow Jesus is one little dot in the midst of a week full of activity. And it's not going to cut it. That's not going to cut it. Now, what's interesting here is um, this is what we do with our kids. And this is why what Kids of Hope does is really important, how they equip parents and grandparents and families to disciple your kids outside of the one hour a week. They focus on the other 167 hours of the week. But what's interesting here is we not only do this with our kids, but we do this with us. We compartmentalize Jesus. We treat him as a supplement for our weeks. It's not just kids. It's all of us. We do this. Now, some people think, well, then, Pastor, are we trying to say just create more orange dots on the graph and have kids come to church more and have families come to church more and lose all your other outside activities? Oh, my goodness. The solution is not to drop everything in your life and just spend all of your time at church. Please, I don't want to be here that much. I love it here, but I don't want to be here that much. That's not the solution. The solution is godliness. It's whole life devotion to God. When you're here at church, when you're on your way home from church, when you're at school, when you're at work, when you're home, when you're doing your hobbies, when you're doing your life, the whole life becoming encompassed by everything Jesus has done for you. And just as the blood of Jesus was shed to wash you of your sins, it's like the effects of the blood of Jesus begin to fill out into every area and every sphere and every dot in your life. So how did somebody even like grow in godliness in the first place? Well, here's the deal. I just want you to do one thing, one thing from this. If godliness is whole life devotion to God, how do you grow in godliness? Well, it's both basically this. You have to begin by inviting God into every area of your life. Invite God into every single area of your life. Every area? Yeah, Every single area, because transformation begins with an invitation for him to step in. Remember, he doesn't want some of your life. He wants all of it. Oh, I know a few people uh, who own timeshares. Um, I don't own one necessarily. I know a few people do. My mom and dad do, and they love it. I know a few friends who own timeshare, and they love it. But most of the people I know who own timeshares hate that they own a timeshare because they got scammed into it. Anybody here know a friend who got scammed into a timeshare? 
Yep, a couple of hands. Okay. I have a friend who went and bought a timeshare one time. Get this. This young, poor, fool, idiot friend of mine. Um, I have his permission to share this. He calls himself an idiot. It's okay. On his honeymoon, on his honeymoon, when he and his wife were still dirt broke, got suckered into going to a timeshare meeting where if they went, they would get free tickets to Disney World. Ooh. And they went, and what do you know, even though they were young, early 20s, had no money, didn't have $2 to rub together, they agreed to buy a timeshare. Yeah. And over 10 years, do you know how many times they went to that timeshare? Once. Most expensive vacation ever, right? Oh my gosh. Broadly speaking, they're horrible investments. Dave Ramsey says this about timeshares. He says, think about this for a minute. Why in the world would you pay thousands of your hard-earned dollars for a place with minimum square footage that you might get a chance to visit for one week each year? Ouch, right? Guys, Jesus does not want a timeshare of your heart and your life to pay a high price to only get a sliver of it. He wants you to invite him into every single area of your life. He didn't become a human being, lived and taught the kingdom, shed his precious blood and died on the cross, descended to the dead, raised to life and ascended to the right hand of God just to get a part of it. He wants it all. He wants your heart. He wants your schedule. He wants your work. He wants your friends. He wants how you spend your money. He wants your dating life. He wants to be invited into your entertainment choices, what you eat, what you drink, all of it. He wants to be invited into all of it. Now, before Jesus sounds like a totalitarian dictator, let me tell you, not as a salesman, but as a satisfied customer, every single area of my life that I have ever invited Jesus into to speak his wisdom and correction into my life, that part of my life has always gotten better. Godliness is not some lame thing where you come to church and hear a preacher say, grow in godliness, you bunch of sinners. It should be people like me who are imploring you, like, you want to grow in godliness. You want to invite Jesus into every single sphere of your life because every room that Jesus steps in gets better. It says this in 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. It holds promise for both this, both the present life and the life to come. This is not something that's, oh, it's good and you'll get a reward in heaven, which is true and which is just wonderfully important. But my goodness, it brings promise for this life and every single sphere of your life. This has such great value to let what you believe, what you sing, what you confess, what you pray affect every single part of your life and influence it all. You want this. One of the most consistent ways that I annoy people accidentally in my life is by asking this question. Hey, did you pray about that? <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many friends of mine just, oh, yes, did it again. 
you know why I ask that? Because I'm trying to be annoying and I want everybody to pray about everything? No. It's because I know when we grow in godliness, when he affects every area of our life, that gets better. And I want your life to get better. So grow in godliness. Invite him into every area of your life. But here's, here's the deal, guys. We make big problems in our life when we don't do this. When we invite Jesus into some, but not all of our life, we create huge messes. Do you know what that's called? It's called hypocrisy. It's called hypocrisy. I heard the story about a police officer pulled a man over for a traffic stop. And the officer came up and asked him for his license and registration. And the man said, officer, I, um, I wasn't speeding and I, I, I didn't run a red light and I used my signals. Um, can I ask you why you pulled me over? And the officer said, oh yeah, all that's true. You weren't speeding. You didn't run any lights. That's true. But I did see you swerve around the old woman in the left lane and shaking your fist at her. And then I also saw you get red-faced and cuss out the guy in the pickup truck who cut you off. And then I also saw you beat your steering wheel when you had to stop at the red light before the bridge. And the man looked at the officer and said, officer, is any of that illegal? And the officer looked at him and said, oh, well, no, none of that's illegal. But I did see that Jesus loves you and so do I bumper sticker on your car. So I figured this car had to be stolen. It's not a love the 561 decal, not our church. No. No, I mean, hypocrisy is a big deal. In fact, Brandon Manning, great Christian author, once wrote this. He said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. It's Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. See, when people don't grow in godliness, when Jesus is allowed to have some, but not all, parts of our lives, it creates problems, not just for you, but for others. And this really matters. February is Black History Month here in America where our nation honors the achievements and contributions of outstanding African-Americans in our nation's history. And many of you know about the great abolitionist, uh, Frederick Douglass, and his achievements. Um, let me just quickly recap you on this great man. He was America's most famous abolitionist. He delivered thousands of speeches, wrote three autobiographies, started newspapers. He met with President Abraham Lincoln, which convinced Lincoln that freedom was essential to ending the Civil War. And he championed the cause of African-American civil rights. But most people downplay a crucial part of his life. It was his radical Christian faith. And he was brought to faith by a free, um, a free black Methodist preacher. And once Frederick cast all of his cares upon, upon God, he wrote that he had found faith in Christ as, quote, his redeemer, his friend, and his savior. Amen. And after becoming involved in the abolitionist movement, his task was to convince Americans to see anti-slavery as a great cause of moral necessity. And to that end, he repeated 
a chastening refrain where he would say this often to Americans. He said, between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. Why? Because he said the problem wasn't Jesus or Christianity. The problem was the hypocrisy of Christians who owned and abused slaves with ruthless cruelty, but sang hymns to the God of love and mercy on Sunday. Now here's the deal. We're thankful for the legacy of a man like Frederick Douglass and his ministry. We're thankful for him. And what I want to tell you today is that the remedy for hypocrisy in us, like it's even more hypocritical for all those awful hypocrite Christians out there who go to other churches. Not me, no, no. But hypocrisy in us is to grow in godliness and to invite Jesus into every single area of our lives. So here's what I would challenge you to do. We're going to put up a prayer. It's a one-sentence prayer on the screen. And it says this, Jesus, I invite you into my, and we fill in the blank. And we're going to say a prayer that's just between you and God. And it could sound something like this. Jesus, I invite you into my finances and how I spend my money. Jesus, I invite you into my marriage. I invite you into my parenting. Jesus, I invite you into my dating. Jesus, I invite you into my sex life. Jesus, I invite you to my hobbies. I invite you into my TV watching. I invite you into my social media. I invite you into my entertainment choices. I invite you into my eating, into my drinking. I invite you into my self-image. I invite you into my conversations. I invite you into my humor. I invite you to my struggle to forgive that person who hurt me. Jesus, I invite you into my, and only you and the Holy Spirit will know your next step to grow in godliness. So would you bow your heads with me? And right now, just you and God. Where is he asking to be invited into your life? Pray that prayer. Jesus, I invite you into and fill in the blank. Lord, I thank you that you paid for it all and you want it all. And so we give it all to you. Grow us in godliness. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We have prayer team here on the sides. If anybody wants prayer for anything, let's sit and reflect and worship. You know, as I was sitting there and singing, I had a picture pop in my head. And there's a scripture that talks about when Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And anybody who opens the door and invites me, and I will come dine with them and they with me. I feel like that for some of you here today, there is a door in your life where Jesus is knocking on it in your heart saying, would you please let me in? There are some of you who have said yes, and I feel like Jesus is saying to you, thank you for letting me in because he's good and wants to bless you. And there are others of you where you know he's knocking, maybe for the very first time to be let into your heart. If that's you, 
don't leave without opening the door. It's the best decision you'll ever make. We have friends here on the side for the prayer team who will pray with you through any of those decisions or any of those prayers that you have to make. We're here to help say yes to godliness. Now may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next weekend.